This episode is brought to you by JLL. Get an insider view into the world of commercial real estate with JLL's podcast, Trends and Insights, the Future of Commercial Real Estate. Whether you're curious about making cities more sustainable, the evolution of office space, or AI opportunities, this podcast will help keep you a step ahead. Tune in for candid conversations with business leaders about the biggest trends impacting how we live, work, and play. Subscribe to Trends and Insights now at jll.com slash podcast. Greetings, conversationalists. Welcome. It is Eric Erickson across the nation. Hello to those of you in Lafayette, Louisiana. We're, we were supposed to be on, and then there were some technical hardware issues that had to be resolved, and now I'm finally on live in my home state, and I am delighted to be with you uh, in uh, Lafayette. Uh, at some point, I need to get down there. And nothing else to eat. Great, great, great eating in Lafayette. Uh, we used to drive over there when I was a kid uh, and eat. Um, now uh, we we got we've got to begin, of course. I think with Henry Kissinger. I suspect that probably you know it's a slow news day, which kind of makes it fun because I fi- get to find other stuff to talk about besides just the news and politics of the day. The phone number, if you want to call in, 877-973-7425. As always, text ERIC, E-R-I-C-K, to 33777, and you can get the show notes, the live stream, the podcast, the social media links, everything you need. Henry Kissinger is dead at 100. He crossed the century mark in May of this year. Memento mori uh, is the Latin phrase. Remember that you have to die. Remember that you die. We all die. All of us die. There's a generational shift from men like Kissinger. The left, of course, immediately rushed to claim he was a war criminal, uh, to claim that that he was a monster of some kind, uh, that they've lost their minds. It's always fascinating to me the number of atheists who suddenly believe in hell when a conservative they don't like dies. Kissinger wasn't really a conservative. He was a man of the right, and he didn't get everything right. Uh, I, I have issues with some of his foreign policy. For example, I think the biggest criticism of Henry Kissinger is not that he decided to bomb Cambodia, but that he decided to uh, not just uh, strengthen our ties with China, but then to financially profit from them over time, such that he has not been able to see up to the moment of his death what China was becoming. I don't fault Kissinger for the many things so many people on the left fault him for, accusing him of war crimes. The very same people are perfectly fine with Hamas chopping off the heads of babies saying, well, I mean, it's understandable. It's not a war crime. It's understandable. The left always likes to scream war crimes against Americans because the left really doesn't like America. You know what Henry Kissinger's war crime is to the left? You know what his actual war crime is? that he championed American sovereignty and strength abroad and helped set about the fall of the Soviet Union. That's his actual crime. It's like Pinochet. I know I tread on dangerous ground on Pinochet. I once made a joke about tossing people out of a helicopter on Twitter, uh, and it was clearly a joke, and people took so I can't believe you support it. No. Um, Pinochet was the dictator uh, down in South America. Uh, Pinochet, however, whether you like him or not, you cannot... Um, You've got to acknowledge the fact that Augusto Pinochet in Chile stopped the Soviets from building a military uh, foothold in South America. 
He launched a coup. He was actually backed by Kissinger and others. He launched a coup to drive out the communists. Now, where he got it wrong was he would round up the communists in helicopters, fly them out to the Pacific, and shove them out the door. But the left really doesn't like him, really really doesn't dislike him because he killed communists. I mean, the, the left around the world kills the capitalists. They, they, they hate him because he beat out the Soviet-backed government. They don't like it. I mean, you do have to understand this, that when the left hates someone like Henry Kissinger or Augusto Pinochet or Ronald Reagan or, or George W. Bush or, or any George H.W. Bush, you name it, they hate them not because of the awful things the left says they did. They hate them because they beat the left. They hate them because they beat communists. They hate them because they caused the defeat of the Soviet Union. You've got young progressives who don't know a thing about Henry Kissinger, but they know they're supposed to hate them him because he's progressive or they're progressive. They're like, oh, war criminal, war criminal, Cambodia, you name it. Henry Kissinger was alive at a time of great chaos and struggle in the world after the end of World War II. And there were two great superpowers with nuclear weapons, the Soviet Union and the United States. And Henry Kissinger deployed every ounce of his mental power to set the United States up to be the dominant superpower. His entire idea of building a relationship with China was seeing two communist powers next to each other who were distrustful of each other, and you could play off that distrust, and you could pull the, the Chinese towards us. Remember, they had a veto in the Security Council of the United Nations. It would be useful. And it worked, by the way. It worked. The problem, however is that the institutional elite of the United States over time concluded that the Soviet Union could not be beat. And so what must happen is we must have spheres of influence. And Kissinger bought into the idea of detente and spheres of influence. Ronald Reagan, when he ran for president, actually denounced the idea of detente. I mean, Ronald Reagan's idea was we win, they lose. It's what uh, Ron DeSantis says on the campaign trail now regularly about the Chinese. We win, they lose. That's not an idea from Ron DeSantis. It was what Ronald Reagan said about the Soviet Union. We win, they lose. He contradicted, criticized, lambasted Kissinger and the foreign policy elite of the United States for this idea of detente, that there could be a Soviet sphere of influence and an American sphere of influence, and the two could peacefully coexist. And whenever... Uh, Kissinger saw the Soviet sphere trying to increase, particularly in the Western Hemisphere. He would back whoever he needed to back to shut down the Soviets, and that wasn't wrong. That was right. You may not like the people he worked with, but he was on the right side of history, stopping the communists from gaining a foothold in the Western Hemisphere. It's something we have not done with China in the Western Hemisphere, in large part because of Henry Kissinger. Where he really shined was as an analyst. They don't make men like Henry Kissinger these days like that. I will tell you, we could we should have more Kissingers than Anthony Blinkens. We should have more Henry Kissingers than Jake Sullivan's, the current national security advisor. Kissinger served as national security advisor and secretary of state to Nixon at the same time. He was the most powerful secretary of state after World War II, probably after Thomas Jefferson, the most powerful secretary of state. He advised a quarter of the American presidents from Kennedy to Biden. 
It is a feather in his cap that Barack Obama hated him. Barack Obama believed so much of world chaos that we dealt with today came from Kissinger. Actually, it didn't, except for the fact that the Soviet Union fell and many of the regimes that the Soviets propped up had to fend for themselves. That's why Barack Obama did not like Henry Kissinger, because Henry Kissinger advanced American interests successfully enough that we were able to bring down the Soviet Union. For all the people who hang up on his detente strategy, that was the prevailing sentiment across the globe in the 1970s. It took Reagan to challenge it. And what happened? Henry Kissinger ultimately got on board. Henry Kissinger advised Ronald Reagan and George H.W. Bush in the fall of the Soviet Union and how to put the pieces together in the post-Cold War era. But the left will condemn him and the cultural forces of the day and the loudest voices in the media will condemn him because they are progressives. But you do need to understand this. Henry Kissinger made tough decisions and did ruthless things. The bombing in Cambodia, for example, killed a lot of innocent people. The Vietnamese, the Viet Cong, the communists moved into Cambodia and were using Eastern Cambodia as a launch pad to attack American operations in Southern Vietnam. Kissinger had it carpet bombed. He's ordered the military to blow up anything that moved or flew, and they did. Men, women, children, it was awful. And you can judge it and say, well, that's a war crime. That's what the left, that's what the left likes to say. It was a war crime. You can also say he did the ruthless things that needed to be done to fight communists. And see, the left is fine. The left is fine with the ruthless thing needed to fight. I mean, they're fine with Hamas. They're justifying Hamas. The left is fine with chopping off the heads of 30-some-odd babies. They're fine with throwing a baby in an oven and turning on the oven. They they say it's, it's just the response to colonialism. It, it's a justified, explainable response to, communi- or to, to colonialism. But my gosh, Henry Kissinger's responses to, to communism, no, no, unjustified. The, the damning indictment here to the left's position on Henry Kissinger is you can take what they say about Kissinger and apply it to Madeleine Albright, apply it to Hillary Clinton, apply it to John, well, maybe not John Kerry, but apply it to pretty much any Democratic Secretary of State through up to John Kerry, and it applies to them as well. You can accuse them of being war criminals. You can accuse Hillary Clinton for war crimes in Syria, Madeleine Albright for war crimes in in Yugoslavia. You can accuse them all of doing all of these things, but ultimately it was about positioning America in the world. And what the left hates is the idea that the United States should reign supreme. They hate the idea of a dominant United States. Henry Kissinger poured his sweat, tears, blood, life into making sure the United States was in the dominant position in the world. And when the prevailing consensus was detente, he embraced the idea of detente and pulled the communists of China towards us and away from the Soviet Union, which was a very big deal to establish ties with the communists of China. It ultimately foisted on the world our new great threat. But, you know, that was one of the the quotable quotes of Henry Kissinger. Every time you win, you get a ticket to a more complex challenge. That was one of Kissinger's quotes. Every time you win, you get a ticket to a more complex challenge. And in winning China for the West in the 1970s, we got a ticket to a more complex problem. The criticism of Kissinger is that he cashed in on it. 
and solidified his ties with China, they greeted him earlier this year when he toured there as some conquering hero. The Chinese loved him. Vladimir Putin loved him. But he was also a brilliant thinker. He was not a war criminal. He was a patriot. He did things that the left doesn't like, and they don't like them because he put the United States in a position to win. He did things that other men might not have done, but he did them because he was convinced they were at the time the right thing to do. And you are a precious, precious person to be able to judge the actions of a man like that from his time through your lens today. You're also deeply naive. I don't agree with everything Henry Kissinger did, particularly in China and the way it was handled. William F. Buckley vehemently disagreed with elevating China at the expense of Taiwan. Vehemently disagreed back in the day. Buckley and, and Reagan turned out to be right. But at the time, it was in the interests of the United States to pull China away from the Soviet Union. That's what they saw. They believed in a world of detente. It took Reagan to challenge them. And once Reagan successfully challenged them, Kissinger got on board with that. Reality is they don't really make people like this. The, the, the passing of the torch to a modern era of diplomats, they are more arrogant than Henry Kissinger was, believe it or not. He was an arrogant man, and they are more arrogant today. They are less likely to second-guess themselves, and Kissinger always was willing to second-guess himself. They are far more likely to believe themselves than those around them, and they are far more likely to exercise a level of naivete. Say what you will about Henry Kissinger, but Henry Kissinger saw the world as it is. The modern diplomatic corps filled with progressives sees the world as some sort of ideal, not as it is, but as they hope it would be. And they operate from the standpoint of as they hope it would be. Henry Kissinger would never make kissy face with the terrorist mullahs of Iran because he understands the way the world is. The left-wing diplomats who advised Biden and advised Obama and Obama himself saw the world as they wished it to be and operated accordingly to the detriment of the United States. And they can blast and criticize a man like Henry Kissinger, but the world is better off because in the 60s and 70s and 80s, Henry Kissinger was advising presidents and not the idiots we have now. Again, we need more Henry Kissingers and less Anthony Blinkens. Guys, if you're a small, mid-sized business, you're struggling with HR issues, you have employees not showing up, or you got to do a termination, you need onboarding of employees, maybe there's a sexual harassment complaint, you want an HR manager. You don't want to be the bad guy with your employees. Bambi can play the role of HR for you. $99 a month, available by phone, email, real-time chat. They do onboardings, terminations. They help your team members get to peak performance and your business stays compliant with changing HR regulations, regardless of which state. They're great. Now, they're U.S.-based. They, you got somebody to talk to who's dedicated to your team. They give you access to HR expertise and they add personal touches. So even though they're outsourced by your company, they really feel like they're a part of your team. That matters. Go to Bambi.com right now. Type in Eric Erickson under podcast. When you sign up, it'll help my show. Bambi.com, B-A-M-B-E-E.com, Bambi.com, Eric Erickson in the podcast tab.
Hello there. Welcome. It is Eric Erickson. The phone number 877-973-7425. Actually, you know, you can't call at this moment. Um, the phone lines have not yet been opened. We're having to get a backup call screener. My call screener, who actually is my producer, got the flu and like texted me last night and says, I don't know what's happened. I'm, I'm, feeling really sick. I've got a real high fever and I'm nauseous and I'm going to bed. I think I got COVID or the flu. It's like, dude, that is 100% the flu. Uh, go go get Tamiflu as quick as you can. So hopefully he'll be back on his feet next week. But geez, it's going around. By the way, um, I, yeah, let me pause what I was going to do and, and, and just give you a public service announcement. Y'all, the flu really is going around bad. Uh, I got my flu shot, and I've mentioned before I used to not be an advocate of the flu shot, and I am a huge advocate of the flu shot, having gotten a horrible case a number of years ago and and ever since getting my flu shot. And in in my house, it's kind of mandatory in my house with my wife having stage 4 lung cancer. Uh, We we all kind of have to get the flu shot, and I was one of those people who was convinced, convinced that every time I got the flu shot, I got the flu. And finally, my doctor was like, well, there are people who can react like it's a 24-hour thing, uh, but also if you've gotten the flu after the flu shot, it's because you were exposed to the flu within two weeks before getting the flu shot. So get the flu shot and not get the flu unless you've been exposed to people with the flu. Um, so I, now we all get the flu shot at my house, and, and we do it to keep my wife safe more than anything. Although I mentioned this to my wife this morning, she said, you know what? I haven't gotten my flu shot yet. Everybody else in the house has gotten the flu shot. It's like, uh, sweetheart, you need to go get the flu shot because you're the one who will get waylaid bad with the flu because you're the one with lung cancer. Um, so she will go get her flu shot uh, expeditiously. Uh, and I, But seriously, it is, it is going around so bad. Uh, the number of people out of my kid's school with the flu, uh, the number of people I have encountered around here who ha- are getting over it or recovering it. My son was the first kid in middle Georgia who uh, had the flu this year that they know of. And the irony is it was, I mean, it was like nothing. It, it was it was so weak, we didn't even think it was the flu till he tested positive for it. And now he's gotten his flu shot, so he won't get a bad case of it. But man, the people I know who've got it right now, it is awful. I mean, they are just waylaid for days. Get Tamiflu, get Tamiflu. That, that suddenly cuts it out. Now, I got to tell you about Americans for Prosperity. They are going around the country talking to voters about Bidenomics. You know, Biden is out there today claiming that he uh, has actually fixed inflation, and so businesses should be cutting prices. That's called deflation. That's not the way it works. The president of the United States not knowing that, we should all be alarmed. It's one of the things that uh, Americans for Prosperity is pointing to. The idiocy of this administration and its policies on fixing the economy, they've got better solutions, and they want to teach you about them and help you be an advocate for those common sense, better ideas for free people and free markets. All you got to do is go to americansforprosperity.org slash Eric, americansforprosperity.org slash E-R-I-C-K. Go sign up with AFP. Be one of their army of activists. Go knock on doors. Go to your state legislature. Advocate for free markets and free people. They give you all the skills to be able to be the most effective advocate for freedom in the room. americansforprosperity.org slash E-R-I-C-K. Go check them out today. We'll be back. Andrew, I, I know I can't hear you at the moment, but you can hear me. Thank you uh, for stepping in and the the last minute to be able to answer the phones today. I greatly appreciate you being able to do that. Thank you. Um, we probably need somebody for tomorrow, too, because you know how Charlie is, and he's going to insist that he can come to work tomorrow. And no, he better not. He needs to rest. Okay, now, 
we we need to we need to move on. But before I I go anywhere else, you know what? Hang on. Um, uh, let me let me pull up the story. I didn't have it linked. Uh, now I know it's terrible of me. My awfulness. I am a professional. Sometimes it makes you wonder, though. Henry Kissinger died having just crossed the line to be 100 back in May. Charlie Munger is dead at 99, 34 days from his 100th birthday. Now, more people will know who Henry Kissinger is than Charlie Munger, but Charlie Munger, you should know. Um, Charlie Munger is the man who convinced Warren Buffett to change his investment strategies. So Warren Buffett uh, used to buy what he thought were fair businesses at cheap prices. Many of those, as long as they were about to go out of business, he didn't care as long as he'd get money on liquidation. It was essentially what a lot of private equity does. He would find businesses that were a little bit wobbly, buy them, and wring the money out of them before they collapsed. And that's, that's what he did. It's a legitimate investment strategy. Charlie Munger, however, convinced Warren Buffett that in Buffett's words, this is the quote from Buffett, forget what you know about buying fair businesses at wonderful prices. Instead, buy wonderful businesses at fair prices. And that's what he did. He was a lawyer by training. He actually worked at Warren Buffett's grandfather's grocery store. They crossed paths several times, and they became fast friends. Buffett would buy what he called cigar butts. Uh, it was like picking up a s- discarded cigar bar or cigar butt that had a puff or two remaining. And Munger counseled him that if you wanted to build a large, sustainable company that would outperform other investors, you should buy solid brand name companies. Buffett said that Munger was the architect and Buffett was the general contractor. Now, the partnership went 50 year partnership. They invested and bought Geico. They invested in Coca-Cola, American Express, IBM, Wells Fargo, Apple, Burlington Northern Santa Fe Railroad Company. Just remarkable, remarkable investment relationship. They outperformed the S&P 500 for most of the existence of Berkshire Hathaway. Uh, The S&P average was 5%. Berkshire Hathaway's performance was about 20%. And they never argued. They didn't always agree, but they never argued. Um, And he was just a fount of business knowledge. In fact, uh, Charlie Munger's greatest business advice was that profit is not made in the buying and the selling, but in the waiting. He was patient. And he also was just a, I mean, he, he was a fount of just quotable, quotable wisdom. The trouble with making pronouncements, he would say, is people gradually begin to think they know something. It's much better to think you're ignorant. If people weren't so wrong, so often wrong, we wouldn't be so rich. His hiring policy was trust first, ability second. Let me say something about this with Charlie Munger. So he's born in uh, Omaha, Nebraska, January 1st, 1924. Served in World War II in Alaska. Talked his way into Harvard Law School without a college degree and graduated magna cum laude. Married twice, uh, divorced his first wife. His life was kind of falling apart. Met his second wife. He one time asked who in the world he was most grateful for, and he said his 
his second wife's first husband because because of that man's defects, he was able to enjoy her companionship for more than 50 years. Loved his second wife. And by the way, uh, had an amazing work ethic. Up until like a week before he died, he was still working, like nonstop working. Uh, one of the uh, writers of the Wall Street Journal interviewed him a couple of months before he died, went out to Los Angeles to meet with him, and was there the entire day. And Charlie Munger was a, a late-night guy. Makes me feel good because, you know, you know the saying, the early bird gets the worm. I, I know all these people, oh, they get up early. They're up at 5 a.m. They're at the gym doing burpees by 6 a.m. Gosh, dude, I hate people like that. As an aside, as an aside, I just don't like early. I don't trust them. There's something psychopathic about early birds. You get up at four or five o'clock in the morning and you're going to do it weightlifting and burpees at five o'clock in the morning. There is something where you have bodies buried under rose bushes in your backyard. I'm pretty convinced. Charlie Munger was a late night owl like me. He slept in, was a little groggy in the morning, but by noon he was firing on all cylinders and he would be up until midnight, one o'clock in the morning working even at 99 years old. It's remarkable. He was just a fount of wisdom. But look, I want to say something about this. This is my concern with a lot of modern America, and it goes to Charlie Munger's work ethic. He believed that when you hired people, you've got to find people first you can trust and then people who are able. Don't go with ability over trust. Go with trust over ability. Ability can be taught. Can't. And he and Berkshire Hathaway and his work ethic, they valued kind of common sense. So one of the one of the, the ethics of Charlie Munger that he inspired Warren Buffett to was invest in what you know. If you can't explain it, don't invest in it. He was deeply, deeply critical of cryptocurrency. He called it crypto crap at one point, and then crypto, um, the S word on CNBC. They had to bleep him out. He says, nobody really understands it. Uh, national currency is actually one of the greatest gifts on the planet. It has provided stability and wealth accumulation and cryptocurrency. You can't really own it. Uh, you, you don't really know who owns it. You don't really know who's backing it. It's, it's really a scam. It's a Ponzi scheme. Deeply critical of Now, I've got friends who are vehemently disagree with Charlie Munger, but I will go with him. But he believed you should buy what you know. And in believing that you should buy what you know, he believed you should go with companies. If, if, you, if you want to do your own individual investment, I don't anymore. I, I dabble in a few stocks. But I was like, I own the Braves. The, the Braves are publicly traded. I, I, I got stock in the Braves. My buddy, David Nicholas, who does some some financial work for me, he's got an EFT, the, a bond market fund. I've, I'm invested in that. I'm invested in, I bank with, with uh, one of the banks I invest with is, is Sonovas, and I own stock in Sonovas and a few others. I, it, but, you know, it goes to Charlie Munger's advice, though. Invest in what you use. So if there's a publicly traded company and you regularly do business with them, maybe invest in them if you think they're that good. But the thing that, that really stands out to me is that he valued people. People were not in, and this is something that, that bothers me about modern society. There are too many people in the world today who treat other people as means to ends. So you're not treating people as people. 
you're treating people as a means to an end. They're a commodity. And Charlie Munger believed that when you commoditize relationships, you've deteriorated the value. And I think that's right. I think that you treat people as human beings. So, for example, Charlie Munger, with, with the companies that he owned, employees were not cogs and wheels. They were human beings. Sometimes you had to lay them off. Sometimes you had to fire them. But you should be able to look them in the eye and be candid with them. Not enough companies, I think, do that anymore. The other day we were talking about the story in the Wall Street Journal about how uh, people are deeply, deeply dissatisfied in their jobs. And, and part of that, I think, is, is post-COVID. You have really seen this, this disconnection between workers and their employers, between the bosses and the people under them. The people who don't feel like they're part of a team he wanted people to feel like they were part of a team, and he wanted people to feel like they were valued in his companies. There are not a lot of people like that these days. A lot of businesses, they're just there to, to milk money out of the company. It's, it's one of the things that he convinced Warren Buffett not to do was a company should not be there just to milk the money out of it. A company should be there to invest in till death do you part, and it will conti continue to generate the milk. You don't bleed it dry. I just, I think we should have more people like that. I think you, we should have employers who are like that, who take care of their employees, who understand that the value of the business actually comes from the people who work in the business. Not necessarily the product generated. I mean, obviously it's the product that's generated that that's sold, but it is the people who make the product who you couldn't make the product, but for those people. So take care of those people, treat them well. You can't always keep them. Sometimes you have to lay them off. Sometimes you have to fire them, but you don't have to treat them as just some cog in the wheel, as some part of your business. They're a human being. Don't commoditize them. And that was something from Charlie Munger. And now he's dead at 99. The people who have listened to him have turned businesses into just um, wealth. He, he generated a lot of wealth. And, you know, like with Kissinger dying, the left hates Charlie Munger because, one, he was a Republican. Though he was a Planned Parenthood donor, he was a Republican. And they don't like him because he was a capitalist. He generated a lot of private wealth. He created a lot of jobs. He was a smart man probably ahead of his time. Let me read you this from his, his obit in the Wall Street Journal. Munger never stopped preaching old-fashioned virtues. Two of his favorite words were assiduity and equanimity. He liked the first he said in a speech in 2007 because it means sit down on your butt until you do it. He often said that the key to investing success was doing nothing for years, even decades, waiting to buy with aggression when bargains finally materialized. He liked the second because it reflected his philosophy of investing in life. Every investor, Munger said frequently, should be able to react with equanimity to a 50% loss of the stock market every few decades. Munger retained a sense of humor into his 90s, even though he was nearly blind, could barely walk, and his beloved wife, Nancy, died years earlier. Around 2016, an acquaintance asked which person in a long life he felt most grateful to. My second wife's first husband, Munger said. I had the ungrudging love of this magnificent woman for 60 years simply by being a somewhat less awful husband than he was. 
We've lost two giants in about 48 hours, Kissinger in statecraft and Munger in business. We need more Charlie Mungers and less Larry Finks of BlackRock. We need more Henry Kissingers and less Anthony Blinkens at the State Department. We need more people who are not transactional in their relationships, but have real relationships, and more people who understand the value of America and the world. They are definitely, both of them, going to be missed for different reasons, perhaps, but men of a different age, they don't make them like that anymore. Speaking of investing, Swiss America wants to help you protect your hard-earned assets as the government and companies try this all-out assault on our freedoms with a secret war on cash, trying to get you to use plastic and all things so they can monitor and see and, and control. They have a report for you. They want to give it to you for free, the secret war on cash, educate you on what's going on and teach you how to preserve your hard-earned assets. Your copy is free by calling or texting 800-289-2646. The all-out war on cash includes digital forms of currency. It's spreading daily. You can read the report, The Secret War on Cash, free. All you do is you call or text 800-289-2646, and you mention my name, Eric Erickson. If you text, just text my name, Eric Erickson. They'll send you a link back. You call or text 800-289-2646. That's 800-289-2646. You can also go to SwissAmerica.com slash Eric. That's SwissAmerica.com slash E-R-I-C-K. But call them or text them or go to SwissAmerica.com slash Eric. The number again, 800-289-2646. Mention my name. Get the secret war on cash. Message and data rates will apply. Hello there. Welcome. It is Eric Erickson here. The phone number 877-973-7425. The Frost family at First Liberty Building Alone asked me to wish you a Merry Christmas on their behalf. Uh, you can check them out, firstlibertyga.com. Listen, those of you in Lafayette, um, where I am on the radio now, I'm so happy to be in my home state on a daily basis now. Uh, if you are a business in Lafayette or anywhere in the nation, you're buying a building, you're building a building. You are buying a franchise. You're buying out a business partner or a competitor. First, that's the sort of deals First Liberty does, and they are so ready to talk to you. You can go to firstlibertyga.com, firstlibertyga.com. Spend 10 minutes with them. See if they're a fit for you. You're a fit for them. They're great people. And really, they didn't want me to tell you any of that. They just wanted me to tell you Merry Christmas. Now, let me talk to Greg real quick before I get to commercial break. Greg, welcome to the show. How are you? Good. How are you doing? Good. What's going on? <laughs> well, I just got a question. Um, I was flum uh, thumbing through the TV the other day, and I heard the tail end of someone. If the president declares martial law, that our presidential elections change. Is that the same thing if they declare war? Do we still get to vote this guy out? Uh, okay, Am so presidents. Yeah, yeah, you are, and it, this is a kind of a, a thing that gets batted around. But uh, presidents don't actually have the power to declare martial law in the United States. Um, they, okay. they can try, but it's not constitutionally a power that they have to a degree. They can't suspend an election. Um, so, the, I mean, you can't just buy now th there are extraordinary times, like for example, uh, in New York city on nine 11, it was election day and Rudy Giuliani had to suspend the elections and have them rescheduled for a couple of weeks later. And things like that can happen, but it takes a court order in order to be able to go along with doing something like that. 
for extraordinary events. The president of the United States cannot just say, I'm imposing martial law and I'm ending elections. Not in the, There are countries where that's possible, but not in this country. Now, the reason it's not possible in this country is because of what? The Constitution. How so? Elections are state matters. Elections are not federal matters. The president of the United States, remember, during COVID, couldn't shut down schools. He had to tell governors that they should shut down schools. The president didn't have the power. He didn't have the power to shut down an election. He didn't have the power to shut down a school. The president of the United States is actually fairly restrained in his powers of what he can do. So people talk about stuff like that all the time, say, oh, declaring martial law, whatever. The the president of the United States can't do that because the police powers reside with the governors of the several states. And because the police powers reside with the, the governors, not with the president, the president can't do something like that. The president of the United States cannot even send the military out to perform law functions in the United States. Um, he, he can't use the military. Now, certainly the National Guard can be called in. The National Guard, not the Army, the National Guard can be called in to, to quell riots and stuff like that, but you can't call in the Army. You can't call in the Navy to do stuff domestically in this country. Posse comitatus, the, the long-held doctrine, and, and it's, it's in the laws. You can't do it. So there are lots of people who say these things um, that the president can do, and the reality is... Under our constitutional system with our federal structure, he can't because he legit doesn't have the power to do anything like that. Now, take Abraham Lincoln during the Civil War. He suspended the writ of habeas corpus, which he was not allowed to do. And the Supreme Court said, uh, Mr. President, you can't do this. And he said, well, Supreme Court, you come enforce it. And at the time, they had no ability to do that. And now after this, after that, Congress gave the Supreme Court federal marshals who can enforce them. So, I mean, they've restrained the president further. Even Abraham Lincoln couldn't have done it a second time. Uh, he would have gotten arrested by the federal marshals. So, yeah, it's it, it doesn't work that way, despite what people say. But uh, a lot of people say a lot of things that are not true because it sounds good and whips people into a frenzy. When we come back, oh, we got to talk about Hamas. They've broken the ceasefire today in Jerusalem They've killed two people, and now they're saying, no, 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 ceasefire, ceasefire. We want a ceasefire. Uh, notable contradictions.